You can be seated. Good morning, beloved. Welcome to River City Community Church in West Humboldt Park, Chicago, Illinois, where we take seriously, we mourn with those who mourn, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. Some of you may not be aware, but this is a season of mourning for us as a community. This is the time of our service where we have prayer and praise. We're going to suspend our, our prayer portion. We ask that you text any prayer request that you have to our prayer line. And the prayer team will take those and to disseminate them with the elders and the staff and those that are on the prayer team to pray for you this week. We family. And some of us are struggling today. And I'm struggling because I don't necessarily have the words. This morning, we mourn with the family of Jamise Wright. Everybody that I've spoken to this week, whether in our city or River City or the Institute or with violence interruption, when they describe Jamise, they all say the same thing, how sweet she was. And if you all don't know who Jamise is, was, Jamise was one of our kids. They're all our kids, but it gets actually hard when it hits family. Jamise was murdered, and I'm sorry to use that language. I know Jamise was murdered, 16 years old. Jamise has been connected to this community through our city for several years, most recently, part of our job preparedness team. Jamisa's life was complicated. We don't downplay that. Because we're not afraid of complications. We shouldn't be. And we know complications don't define in totality who we are. Somehow along the way, we were blessed with Jamise. We were blessed with her for the time that we had her. We denounce the senseless violence. We denounce the wickedness and the evilness that seem to pervade our land. We denounce systems and structures and the legacy of racism, poverty, and oppression and marginalization that create these environments where violence exists and where violence is rooted. We know the science. We know the theories. We don't have to question that stuff anymore. We know the causality. So this morning, I'm sorry I'm all over the place, I just want us to pause. And let's remember Jamise. Let us pray for Beth, Benjamin, the entire Our City family. Let us pray for the directors of Our City, who's, because we aren't and can't be all the time 
they're on the front lines of this. They're on the front lines for this community. So you can imagine their grief and struggle. So let us pray for them. And I don't even know what the prayer is. Other than God give them strength. God, don't let them become weary. Let them see goodness. Let them experience your light even when it appears dark. I think God will lead you, the Holy Spirit will lead you what to pray. The Holy Spirit will lead you. What I need you to do is to commit. Commit, family, to pray. Not only pray today, but to pray daily. Daily for our kids that come through these doors, for the staff and the directors that are on the front line for them. That this place will continue to be a safe harbor for them. And that they will receive love and support unconditionally here. But I don't need you to stop praying there. I need you to pray that God will stir your hearts. And this is a direct challenge. Faith without works is dead. We can have faith that God is going to do a thing. But if we ain't working in tandem with the spirit of God, with the movement, bring these things about, we're kind of missing some of it. So I'm going to pray, beloved, for you, and I want you to pray for yourself, and I want you to pray for us as a community that God will stir our hearts to action in a way that is an alignment to how he has called you and gifted you. I'm going to pray. There's a wonderful proverb, provoke one another to good work. Provoke it. And I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to pray that the spirit of God provokes you to good works. I'm going to pray that God stirs your soul stirs your soul until there is an internal yes here am I send me I'll go because either we're going to believe it or we're not lives are on the line thirdly I'm going to be praying and ask that you pray scripture teaches that the harvest is right but it's the laborers that are few. That we are to pray to the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. Hallelujah. We are to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would, what, send laborers. That he would raise up an army. We, we sing it, right? We sing it. That he would send laborers. That's us and that's the others. So that's ways we can be praying beloved father I lift all of those things up to you you are good and your word says you are a kind God you are tender So it is in full tenderness, Lord, that we ask you be with us here in this moment. Bring comfort to our hearts. Bring comfort to the hearts of the directors and the leaders and the staff of our city. Bring comfort to the hearts of the kids in our city who are impacted by this trauma once again. This is not your design, God. This was not part of your plan. And we don't always have the answers or the solution, God, but what we have, we offer to you to be used according to your will. 
such that we have, whatever it may be, our time, our talent, our treasure, God, I'm asking that you use it to be part of your solution. I pray, God, that you would use it and illuminate it, God, for this community and the community beyond. We pray, God, for healing in the land and peace in the land. And we pray for laborers to be about your business. We pray for comfort for Jamisa's family. We pray for them, God. Can't imagine. Can't imagine, Lord, what they're dealing with. Lord, I pray for all of those that are ministering to their family, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and discernment and guidance and that your language would be, your words would be heard clear through them. We're sad, God. We ain't got to pretend that we're not. We ain't got to. We can testify that you are a good God and still be sad. We can testify that you will bring joy and still weep in the moment. They're not mutually exclusive. So in our sadness, God, we, we praise you, we worship you, and we declare that you are God in the good times and the bad, in sun and in rain. Walk with us in this season, Lord. Stir our hearts, show us what to do. Increase. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Could you please rise for the reading of the word? I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation because um, I'm going to be up here for a few minutes. <laughs> it's a longer passage, and it might be easier to hear it in this translation. <clears throat> it's Matthew 13, 1 through 23. Later that day, Jesus left the house and sat by the lake shore to teach the people. Soon there were so many people surrounding him that he had to teach sitting in a boat while the large crowd stood on the shore. He taught them many things by using stories, parables, to illustrate spiritual truth, saying, consider this. There is a farmer who went out to sow seeds. As he cast his seeds, some fell along the beaten path, and the birds came and ate them. Others fell onto gravel that had no topsoil. They, quick, they quickly shot up, but when the days grew hot, they were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Others fell among the thorns, so when they sprouted, the thorns choked them. But other seeds fell on the ground, on the good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as he planted. If you're able to understand this, then you need to respond. Then his disciples approached Jesus and asked, Why do you always speak to the people in these hard-to-understand parables? He explained, you've been given the, the intimate experience of insight into the hidden mysteries of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they have not. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has had more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. That's why I teach people using parables, because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. Although they will listen to me, they will never fully perceive the message I speak. The prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand a thing I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive, their ears are plugged and hard of hearing, and they have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear and open their minds to understand. They would turn to me and I would instantly heal them. But blissful are your eyes, for they see, 
Delighted are your ears, for they are open to hear all these things. Many prophets and godly people yearn to see these days of miracles that you've been favored to see. They would, have been, they would have given everything to hear the revelation you've been favored to hear. Now you are ready to hear the explanation of the parable of the sower. What was sown along the path represents the one who listens to the message of the kingdom but doesn't understand it. The adversary then comes and snatches away what was sown into his heart. The one grown on gravel represents the person who gladly hears the kingdom message, but his experience remains shallow. Shortly after he hears it, trouble and persecution come because of the kingdom message he received, then he quickly falls away, for the truth didn't sink deeply into his heart. The one sown among thorns represents one who receives the message, but of all life's busy distractions, his divided heart and his ambition for wealth result in, the su in suffocating the kingdom message and it becomes fruitless. But what was sown on good, rich soil represents the one who hears and fully embraces the message of the kingdom. Their lives bear good fr fruit some yield a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as was sown. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jennifer, for reading that passage. I can kind of pick up where Elder Keith was, kind of also catch people up who are just jumping in at this part of service. We are sticking with the passage that was assigned for this Sunday, but doing so with heavy hearts in the reality we live right now. Um, the whole vision of both our church and nonprofit where we're shared together is to rise up against evil and death and violence and to create an alternative pathway for people, for young ones especially. And so this has been a hard month because, um, I mean, every form of suffering is terrible, but we've had three young lives lost just in the last month. Uh, a young woman named Onisha was life, life lost to gun violence young guy named Chuck. They weren't in our programs, but they were very connected to the kids in our programs. And then, as we've been mourning today, we lost Jamise Wright this week. And uh, uh, as Elder Keith mentioned, Jamise has been part of our programs for a long time. We'll show a handful of pictures here, just to, some of you undoubtedly interacted with her, but this shows some of the different ways that she was connected to our church community. So, this is Jamise when she was a little bit younger, and as Keith mentioned, that's yeah. This is this is always with those who knew her that she was joyful, that she was a strong leader, um, she was a fighter, and had to be because of her environment. And so this is this is a picture of her when she was younger. Next one, this is her. You'll recognize a lot of our young people here. This is the Harambe crew. So this is her as part of the Harambe crew, doing tuck pointing. Next one, if you would. On this very stage here, it's her over there, and um, active part of the programs here, and last one, if you will. It's it's every layer. It's a it's a lost life. There's just no question about that. Um, but then it's also those. I mean, right? I mean, it's it's if if there's if there is there couldn't be more obvious contrast to what God wants, right? To be a young person here and to have to constantly spiritual psychological dangers that are true everywhere, but of the physical, violent dangers. Um, as Keith, I think, so well said, of just all the conditions, the historical legacies and conditions that create this, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And so we, uh, as you would imagine, we've had just constant conversations this week, church and nonprofit together. And so uh, if you weren't on the email and saw this, what we thought would be great, we do want to have um, kind of an organized conversation around this. And so... We're going to continue to talk this week. We're sitting in our city, and we'll, we'll we'll cultivate some kind of a conversation next week. You know, again, this isn't new for us. This isn't like, oh, we should suddenly care about this. Obviously, we care about this deeply. It's what we're organized around. But I do think there are these moments. There are these moments of reckoning, right? These moments of heightened consciousness. This mo these moments where God calls on us, really, I think, to take things that have already been revealed and take them even more seriously. And so we want to be sensitive to that. So we'll we'll, we'll have some kind of a conversation like that this week. We wanted to really... Uh, lean into the lament of that this week. Um, as you maybe would imagine, as, as I thought through this passage, yet at first I was just like, oh God, I, with all we're going through, the last thing I really want to do is try to think about four soils and all the 
kind of Sunday school lessons I've heard around that growing up and the different things. It's, it's not really where I was um, um, when we first started studying, but I got there and it's actually become really meaningful. And it's, of course, has meaning much broader, but also it's very meaningful for right now in this moment we're in. You know what really kind of bridged the gap for me? And I, for those of you here, I'd encourage you even to do this afterwards. I don't know if you all know this. There's a mural on the back of our church. Did you know there's a mural on the back of our church building? <clears throat> it's a beautiful mural. Hopefully, eventually, we're going to have these all over the place. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but the, it's, all, it's all, you know, River City, our city youth that did this mural. And the question that was given to them that the mural was the answer to was in response to this beautiful but, you know, lofty idea. It's in this chapter. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus often talks about the kingdom of God. Right, that's his central message, actually. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us this, or, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right, on earth as it is in heaven. In this passage, and to kind of make a nod, we'll, we'll, we'll be in this for a few weeks. There's a, this is the largest collection of parables from Jesus in any of the gospel accounts. But all of them are built around this idea of the kingdom. It's pretty fascinating what Jesus says, and that there's three parts to what we just read. There's a first pass of the four soils. There's this kind of lengthy treatment where Jesus basically says, I want you to know the secrets of the kingdom. I want you to fact, say these words, because would you repeat these with me? Because they're really important. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, Jesus says he wants us to see it. Will you say see? He wants us to hear it, hear, and he wants us to understand, understand. He, the, the, he goes through this over and over and over again. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. I want you to understand it. Um, it may be a lofty idea, but it's something that's meant to be operative in our lives. That's the whole of all of 13, including these parables, which kind of this parable, the four soils, which kicks it off. So the question that was kind of put out there for this mural in the back is, when you think of that phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what do you picture? And then we made it more specific. When you think of thy kingdom come, thy will be done in West Humble Park as it is in heaven, what do you picture? And so the mural on that back right there, when you go back there, um, that's their answer to what the kingdom looks like in West Humble Park. And there's two sets of images on that mural. Um, there's a bunch of trees and fruit and just nature in general. And whether they knew about the Garden of Eden or not, I think it's really interesting and amazing that um, these pictures of nature were painted on there, which I think reflects something that we can all grasp, right? The sense of wellness, shalom, interconnectedness, safety, peace, right? Where you can just be. Right? And then the other thing, totally different set of images and yet so coherent with it, it's images of flags from different countries, right? A place where all of God's people, wherever they might be from, whatever they're facing, a place where all of God's people can experience this shalom, this peace. And Jamise was big in, the, in some of the murals we did. One of the pictures that I didn't show, show but it's her name painted on there, her name forever kind of on one of these murals. And uh, as, I, as I kept looking at that mural on the back, and I did it again this morning before church, and I would encourage you to do that afterwards, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm seeing this connection point because um, even though this is a set of parables that Jesus tells thousands and thousands of years ago in a context of very different than ours, it's the same thing he's calling us to now, which is to see the kingdom, to hear the message of the kingdom, to understand the message of the kingdom. All right, so whole bunch in this. We'll get into more in midweek Bible study for who to come to this. Here's, here's, what I, here's what was helpful for me in this passage was to kind of take a broad view of it. And in this set of parables, and it's interesting, Jesus does it twice. He tells the parable of the four soils, then he has this conversation around the nature of the kingdom, and he comes back again to the same four soils and explains it. But there's three characters, or I guess they're not all characters. Jesus is the only character. But three I don't recall three, 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 let's call it three characters. I can't find a better name for that right now. But there's three characters that are simple. And this is what parables always do. They're always simple and yet profound all at the same time, right? And it's in the simplicity that they become profound where it draws us into this deeper thing. So th this, I think all three are really important. There's three characters that are interplaying together, right? There's a sower. Say it again with me. A sower, seed, soil. Uh, when's the last time I alliterated a sermon? You remember the, 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 and I'm not even doing that on purpose. There are three S's, uh, uh, but all three are important. There's a sower, there's a seed, there's, a, there's, there's soil. And I would actually, um, if I was going to put kind of a statement with it, since I don't like alliteration, so now we'll do one that's not alliterate, but I would say um, why, this path, why this opening parable is so important is it shows um, what God is like, which I think is emblematic in a sower, it shows how God works, or at least one of the ways God works. That's kind of captured in this notion of the seeds. And then it shows 
And this is a question that's always there in spiritual transformation conversations. What's our role? In it? What's, what's God's role? What's our role? I think the soils represents the part that we, it's really the only of the three that we have any um, control over. So um, I think the sower really represents what God's like. I think the seeds really represent how God works in the transformation process as God invites us and beckons us even to see the kingdom. And then the soils lo- look at um, kind of the role we can play. So Let's start with the simplest, uh, well, maybe not simple, but the, the opening image is there is this sower. In both cases, um, a farmer or a sower went out to sow seed. Um, this is probably self-evident, but who do you think the farmer slash sower is supposed to be representing in this parable? You're allowed to shout it out if you want. Yeah, it's God, Jesus. Yeah, this is maybe Jesus more specifically. It's for sure, you know, it, it's showing what God is like. So God is the one who is sowing the seed in this. And that's kind of the opening character in this. And this is so self-evident in some ways. I almost feel like I shouldn't mention it, but then when you study this passage and realize the hundreds of takes people take on this, it probably doesn't need mention. One of the sad exercises in missing the point that I think some do with this, and I think it reflects more our human anxiety that does anything that's in this passage, but a lot of people fixate on this passage trying to ask this question, who is it that doesn't hear um, the message of God? Who is it that doesn't respond to the message of God? Who do you use it? who's not saved. Um, I think that's a profound exercise in missing the point for two reasons, well, more than two. But for one, it's very clear that the thrust of this is that Jesus's hope is that everybody would see, hear, and respond to the message of the kingdom of God. Um, but here's the other thing why I think that that image of a sower in this is really important. It's, it's such a simple yet important detail. In all the cases of these soils, the sower is scattering seed constantly. Uh, the farmer is sowing seed in an almost indiscriminate kind of way, right? Uh, to say it in the reverse, uh, there's not a sense of scarcity. Like, here's one seed, and you better hope the seed takes, right? Um, it couldn't be further from that. It's the opposite. It's, it's abundant. It's, it's indiscriminate. The, the sower is constantly sowing seed in every instance of this, which is not meant to be missed by them or by us that when we think of who God is and what God is like in this invitation to see and hear and understand the kingdom, God's heart is not one of, you have to get this just right. You have to respond to that one opportunity or you're going to miss it. You're going to have to say it just right, think it just right. It's the opposite. This is God is saying, I am sowing seed constantly, constantly, and in season and out of season with the hope that that seed will take and grow and um, bear fruit, ultimately. Jesus says that's the goal, right, is that we become good soil and that it grows and that it bears fruit. And so maybe I'll just kind of invite you to reflect a little bit at the end of each one of these um, as we make our way through this, the sower, and we'll get to the seed, we'll get to the soil. But when we start with this simple yet profound idea, when we think of who God is, when you think of who God is in your life, when you wonder what is God's intention with you, if God says, I want you to know the coming kingdom, the, uh, so there's different ways to define kingdom, but I like, I like those pictures in the back. Let's think of kingdom today like this. Kingdom, kingdom is a place where there's life, right? Jesus says it about as simply as can be said, John 10, 10, I've come to bring life and all of its fullness. So all the things that come with that, life, love, abundance, wholeness, peace, connectedness, right? This is, this is, what, this is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the coming kingdom, that when we live under the rule and reign of God, when we are informed and nourished by the love of God, there's a certain way we look, there's a certain way our communities look, there's a certain way the world looks that is in alignment with what God wishes for us. And then Jesus contrasts that. And then there's a thief, right, who's always operating in opposition to life and love and wholeness. And the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. So when we think of who God is in this, let's remember the words of Jesus. Let's remember this parable. It's simple and yet profound. Jesus' intention, Jesus' hope for you is that you would see the kingdom, hear all the messages of it, that you would understand it, that it would make its way into you in such a way that your life bears fruit in accordance with this message that has been sowed into you. Right? That's who God is, is a sower who is just constantly sowing seeds. Jack, with that? Simple, but yet profound. Remember, I always think remembering who God is in the equation or what God is like is always the starting point of transformative conversations. This is how the sower is described as one who is constantly sowing seeds, right? Not, there's not punishment and 
stop sowing seeds because of the way it's being received, just constantly sowing seeds. So that's the sower in this, got it? All right, let's look at this next one of seeds. Also a simple and yet profound idea. The sower, the farmer, is sowing seeds. And you think, all right, not yet. You can picture this in an agricultural sense, right? Of course, seeds have the potential for life in them, but they have to be nurtured and nourished and cultivated for them to be able to grow, right? I mean, I think that's an easy starting point. It goes even a little bit further, I think, in this analogy in that seeds do carry life in them. But when when Jesus is talking about the soils and, and sowing these seeds, these seeds actually have God's life in them. Uh, uh, I was meditating on, um, in Peter, uh, in Peter's epistle, he says, we are um, divine partakers in the nature of God. And this is a really big idea, and I'm just going to stay mystical for just a second here. Um, but when Jesus talks about these seeds that are being sowed onto the soil of our hearts and minds and spirits, and we'll get to soil in a minute, when Jesus talks of these seeds, um, these seeds don't just have life like it does in the agricultural world, which is true, but they have actually God's life in them. Uh, that when these seeds get sown into us, um, it opens up the possibility for this mystical, beautiful union between our lives and God's life, where the two start to become indistinguishable, where God's life is growing into our life, our life is growing into God's life. All right, that's the mystical part. Let's get a little more practical on this. Jesus says he's constantly sowing seeds. Now, uh, I want to actually apply it to the moment we're in, but let's take a little bit of a broader view first. I actually think this is one of the really helpful ways to think about spiritual transformation, that um, who God is is constantly sowing and distributing these seeds. Who we are is the one who is the soil that can receive them. But one of the ways, and this starts to move towards the soil, but one of the ways we can participate in this is to be um, cognizant of the fact that God is sowing seeds to be sensitive to the spiritual realities when seeds are being sown. Uh, like, let's give an example. So the Bible, the Bible describes different kind of environments that tend to be ripe for seeds being sown, right? So what we're doing right now together, this is, this is one of the consistent ones, right? The Bible talks about assembling together, not because going to church or not going to church makes you a good person or a bad person or a good Christian or a bad Christian. It's not about that. It's about this, this idea that when we collectively come together, there's like a movement of the presence and spirit of God, and we can just assume seeds are being sown, right? So like already where we're at in this time together, during worship, you can just assume, we can assume that God has been sowing seeds into you during that time. And when you look over the course of your life, I mean, sometimes there's this huge transformational moments, and those are cool too, but really life, it tends to be made up of much more of like a bunch of little transformational moments, Right, So an example of this, you're hearing a worship song and just the lyrics of that just catch you on that particular day. right? And they just continue to play in your heart and mind right? about who God is or who we are and how God works in our lives. That, I think that's an example of a seed is being sown. It's kind of dropping into the soil of our hearts and we're receptively catching it. We're, we're responding to that. Right? Or being in community, there's conversations that often can serve as a seed that's being sown that has life in Right, studying scripture opens us up to seeds that are being sown. Okay, yeah, be tracking. So I think just in a general way, being conscious of, alert to, aware of the way God is sowing seeds in a particular way for us. Now here's why I want to be more, a little more specific where we're at now. And I want to be careful because there's a way to do this in a way that's not helpful, I think. But um, let me do the best I can on this. In the same way that corporate gatherings kind of create an environment in which seeds get dropped and there's a chance for us to respond and to grow in a certain way, I really do believe that times of suffering, of violence, of hardship are times that we are meant to be alert to the presence of God, to the sowing of Jesus' seeds, to say more specifically, to assume that in times like this, there are seeds being sowed in our hearts that are meant to take and grow. Right, now, where I want to be careful of that is because sometimes we can glamorize death, glamorize suffering, like turn it into a mascot kind of a thing, which I think is really not good and not helpful and not honoring of lives lost. But I do think there's this other side of it too, and that's because it comes to this notion of kingdoms. Right? Again, if the kingdom of God is defined by life, aliveness, fullness of life, abundance, connectedness, having what we need, when there are these attacks on that, when there are these um, um, resident forms of evil that show up that are exactly what Jesus describes, a thief that's trying to steal and kill and destroy. When that happens, 
it's, it's the same reason why Jesus puts the kingdom at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer and then ends with saying, protect us from the evil one, right? When evil shows up, we, we're meant to pay attention uh, because we're, we're finally waking up from just kind of all the day-to-day things that are happening around us and realizing, like, this is, this is what life on this side of heaven is. It is the coming of God's kingdom, and it is the attack of evil on it, and that we are meant to see and hear and understand it in increasing kinds of ways, and we're meant to participate in a way that demonstrates the fruit of seeing and hearing and understanding that. Let me make it even more personal. So here, here's where this passage really started to do click for me as I was thinking this week. I thought, all right, of course we have got to sit in the heaviness of this, lament this, do whatever we can to support Jamisa's family in this, continue to ask these bigger questions. But then even at a personal level, here, here is where this passage like really started to wreck me even a little bit. What I felt God saying to me is like, are you listening for the seeds I'm sowing in you right now? Can you hear whatever it is you're specific? Like, so here, here's what I know. I don't know the specifics yet, but I know in this moment, I'm supposed to hear some things about what this means for me. So that might mean ways I need to sacrifice more. It may mean ways I need to serve more. It may, it, may, it may mean ways I have to be more proximate. It may mean ways in which I'm just not um, allowing the weight of this. You know, I think there's always this human temptation to anesthetize ourselves when we get close to suffering and to not feel it. So I know that God has some things in this for me that are meant to be stirred by the gruesome reality of kind of what we're sitting in. And so... I'm in real time in the middle of that, right? I don't exactly know what those are yet, but I can sense, if I can use the image of this, I can sense the sower sowing seed right now. Right? At the most simple level, let me say that. I can sense the sower sowing seed right now that is in alignment with the coming kingdom that God wants me to participate in, but that is super aware of the resident form of evil that would steal, kill, and destroy. I'm confident that the sower sowing seed right now, even if I can't quite articulate what that is, and this parable helped me to remind, like, oh, of course, that's just the way this is always working. Jesus is sowing seed that is designed, again, remember this, it's designed for us to see different. It's designed for us to hear different. It is designed for us to understand, right? Jesus isn't just creating obedient people. Jesus wants to have people who understand the mysteries of the kingdom, both the beauty of what God is bringing and the reality of how evil tries to attack it. And so if I was going to kind of offer this up as a reflection thing for you. Um, right? We're all coming this in different ways. Some of us, some here have been, we've got young people in here who knew her super well and are grieving one level. We've got folks who are working on the ground here all week long, knew her really well, grieving a different level. We've got people who like, you're here and this is the first you heard of it today, right? I mean, th- there's a full range, but I, what, what I don't think changes is that across the board we can trust that Jesus the sower is sowing seed and that, and this gets to the final one, the, the part we can really do is pay attention to what's our posture, what's our receptivity level, what's our hunger level, um, what's our openness to hearing that which Jesus would want us to hear. You tracking with me? Um, um, that's where collectively I think we should fan, the, fan those flames of saying, what is God saying and how can we hear? I think individually it's important to do. This is where I think community becomes important. Self-reflection becomes important, but community becomes important of talking together, right? What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? What might that mean? Those conversations for me this week have been very rich. I think that comes right from what Jesus is saying here. He's the sower. He sows seed in us that's got the potential for life, the potential for a different way of seeing, a different way of hearing, a different way of understanding, and then a different way of participating because of that which is growing inside of us. It's, it's pretty beautiful. All right, uh, final kind of image here is these um, different soils. And uh, you know, we could probably do a whole sermon. I'm just like really doing a deep dive into what does each soil represent and what are the uniquenesses of that. And there's probably merit to that too. I'm not so much going to do that today as much as looking at it from a broader level um, let me just say it plainly first, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go through a couple of them. But at the plainest level, um, I think this is what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is, I want all of my people to see, hear, understand, and participate in the coming kingdom, period. Um, but I also want them to understand that there's a lot of things that can choke it out before it takes, and we should be conscious of this. 
right? So I don't think this is some kind of condemnational thing. I don't think this is saying anybody's permanently in one spade or the other as much as warnings of these, right? Uh, but the kinds of things Jesus suggests as that which gets in the way are actually very instructive, right? So I think it's really interesting. The very first soil Jesus talks about is that, um, and use the metaphor of a bird, right? Uh, but again, Jesus, and this is, this is consistent everywhere. Whenever Jesus is talking about the coming kingdom, he always pairs it with the threat of evil that's attacking it. That's always together, just like we talked about in John 10, 10. I've come to bring abundant life. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That a garden of Eden, a snake, right? Uh, Jesus being blessed by God devil trying to undercut that, right? This is The coming kingdom is always paired with the reality of evil trying to snatch it. And so that's a really interesting metaphor. Um, Jesus says in that very first one, right off the bat, that there's a bird that comes and tries to eat the seeds, which, yeah, it's, again, a helpful way. For, I, I, I appreciate the nuance of the Bible with how it talks about evil, where the Bible never describes evil as some kind of giant, you know, medieval dragon or something that, like, we can't overcome, right? It's... Uh, the Garden of Eden, it's a snake. Here, it's a bird, right? On one hand, you don't have to be real real scared of a crow, right? That, that doesn't seem like the great threat to the coming kingdom of God, and yet it is. It is, right? Um, without paying attention to it, these seeds get snapped up. So let's take just a moment here, because I think this is an interesting exercise. What, what is, if you were just thinking in yourself or in our collective community, if we were thinking of the ways that evil tries to come and snatch the seed, um, that God is planting. Now, this this would apply. This this is actually. Let me let me ask about this. And this is a question, especially those who are longtime River Cityers. We talk about evil a lot. We talk about the primary currency, the primary mode in which evil works. It comes down to one word. Anybody bold enough to shout it out? What is the currency? What is the operating system of evil? How does evil work in an everyday ways, everyday way in our world? Through what? Yeah, thank you. That makes me very happy that somebody feels shouted out. That's actually a really helpful thing to remember. That Jesus consistently talks about evil as lies. Right, which helps orient what we're actually up against. And so you could almost think of this, that there's a truth that Jesus is trying to draw us into, seeing, hearing, understanding this truth. There's lies that try to undercut it. So, you know, it's a little risky kind of stepping into this and stepping back out, but I think it's worth naming this sometimes. Let's talk specifically about what we're wrestling with right now, the life that God wants that defines God's kingdom, the death that tries to snatch that away. Now, when people, when people start interacting with and trying to really... Um, orient ourselves around what we're up against. What are the kind of lies that undercut that? Now, this would be something I would encourage you to think about too, but I think what jumps out to me when I think about this, and you see this especially at the broader conversation, whenever there starts to be a movement where it feels like people are going to actually really reckon with the realities of what we're up against, the, that, that people who are, that, that those of us who are in these situations where violence and hardship and oppression are such regular ways of life, you'll, 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 you'll feel the sense that maybe people are starting to really be open to truth, especially those who are outside of it, and then something will be said that really just feels like lies. Um, I'm trying to feel how... Uh, I feel like one of the first ones you always hear is like, well, yeah, that's true, but what about black-on-black crime? Yeah, I can see that's a threat, but families aren't intact. That's the solution is that their families are like so intact. Or talking about uh, uh, downplaying what people are uh, up against, especially the historical, structural, systematic, um, with just kind of, well, everybody can be successful if they just work hard and try. All right, uh, and I, I realize I'm kind of dancing on a line here right now, um, but I actually think, I, I'm, not, I'm not pointing at people right now, I'm pointing at a lie, but I actually think this is the kind of stuff that disrupts the movement of God. I think every time truth starts to move, you're going to get a corresponding set of lies that tries to undercut it. And I think that's deeply spiritual. I think that is deeply spiritual. I think that there is stuff behind that that is about undercutting and swallowing up, being the bird, so to speak, uh, because I think there's so many people who come right up to the edge and are really ready to start seeing and hearing and listening, and then they get knocked off course with these these, these falsisms that like are designed actually to undercut the very kind of truth that we're trying to wrestle with. So I think we have to be aware of that. I think we have to be aware of, and that's just like one little step. Like, I think that's something to think about though, in the truths of how God is trying to take us into the kingdom on this stuff. What are the lies that get used by the evil one to undercut that? All right, let, let me do, let me do one more. I think this, this third set that Jesus does of soil it's interesting that he pairs these together because at first glance, they seem really different from each other. 
Um, uh, but Jesus talks about the third soil. He says it falls, around th- falls among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life or the concerns of this life, as some say, and, and this is where it doesn't, you wouldn't expect these to be other, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, that's, a, that's, a, that's interesting and just so honest, right? Um, I'm convicted by both of these. Um, on that first one, I mean, it's just, it's just so real, right? Jesus says, oftentimes you're on your way to seeing and hearing and understanding the kingdom of God that's going to really change you. And then just the worries of this life pull you off course. Uh, that, that's me. Like life in my life is way less hard than most people's, but like life's hard, right? For almost all of us, life is hard in different kind of ways. Life is filled with a myriad of challenges for us, right? And the Bible never minimizes God's presence with us and God's attentiveness to us in the midst of hardship, but there is just a concrete reality that sometimes when God is trying to move us into this deeper understanding and participation of the kingdom, just the hardships and worries of life take us off course, right? I mean, is that not just a daily, a daily temptation for every one of us that the worries of this life, which again are real and God cares about, but where, you know, that's part of the story and there's other parts of the story of hearing and receiving and moving in the kingdom of God where the worries of this world, the concerns of this world become the whole thing that kind of takes up our energy and attention, right? That's like super convicting for me. And then what seems like in a totally different direction, but also so relevant, I think to everybody, no matter where you fall on the income scale, but Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth as something that takes us off course from hearing, seeing, responding to the word of God, to the, to the coming revelation of God. I thought, now, isn't that just so interesting? And again, it's, it's so how evil works because here's how evil almost never works. Like you don't see, I, growing up, I don't know if anybody's heard of this movie anymore, but growing up, the scary movie for me was Poltergeist, <laughs> right? Um, and that, that like really scared me about how evil works. But you know, that's almost never how evil shows up is this like big, nasty, demonic kind of figure that like is trying to scare you away from it. No, the way evil works is it twists in with something that is true, but then takes you off course and tries to separate you from what's true. And wealth is such a good example of this, right? Because everything we're trying to do here in this neighborhood requires resources, right? There's no question about that, right? Um, uh, One of the great gifts of the kingdom is those who have resources that are above and beyond what they need to just survive and they're able to sow into the work of God. And it's such a beautiful thing when resources are lined up with this seeing, hearing, receiving, understanding of the kingdom. But then how quickly it can go where wealth turns from participation in the kingdom to where it's instead centered around self, right? Self-protection, which is often where wealth gets put towards in a variety of different ways. Um, self-grandizement, the, like even more where, where there's just building up, you know, one's own possessions or, you know, where that becomes the, the, the preoccupying thing. Like so much can be said that. Jesus talks about that a lot. But bottom line being, there are, these, there are these things. In fact, those are the four that Jesus mentioned, that evil, persecution he mentions, the troubles of this world, and wealth, the deceitful of wealth. He mentions those are the most likely things to choke out the seed that Jesus is trying to plant in us. So to put it, in a kind of concluding, forward-looking way, Jesus is unequivocal that what his hope for us is that we are the kind of soil that is ready to receive the kingdom of God, that is ready to see, that is ready to hear, that is ready to understand with the Spirit's help and then to move in such a way. And I, one of my favorite parts about this being agriculture and nature is like it's not talking about behaviors and doing stuff, but it does emphasize that one of the ways you know the seed is taking is that it bears fruit. It bears fruit that um, we don't really hear and see and understand the kingdom without it manifesting in some kind of a way. And of course, that's never going to be our style here. We're saying it's A, B, and C, and if you're not doing A, B, and C, then you should call in the question. No, that's I mean, that, that, that's not where anybody's trying to do. But I do think it's a helpful self-evaluation thing to say, like, what's the, con- one of the ways I can see kind of a growing transformation is that it's manifesting in fruit. And so what's the fruit that's currently manifesting in my life? In what ways? Are there ways God is trying to speak and manifest this in other kinds of ways? These are the kinds of things that I think we can do to pay attention to the work of God in our lives. And then collectively when we're doing that, right, there's kind of a fire that, that that gets when you when you get a critical mass of people who are saying I trust that that sower wants us to understand the kingdom together. I trust that that sower is sowing seed for all of us 
to hear and internalize and see and understand and respond to. There's this critical mass of us wanting to be the kind of soil that responds to the Word of God and responds and participates, right? I mean, that's, that's when I think you get exactly what Jesus is talking about when, I guess, the final image that I've just been reflecting on. Um, right? When we talk about church, one of the kind of weird and cool images of how church is talked about is it's called the body of Christ, Right? And you can kind of say that in this way that's just kind of like very metaphorical. But like when you actually think about it, it's, it's this wild idea, right? Jesus says, I actually used to be here in person. I healed and touched and cared for and was with the sick and with the hurting and standing up against evil. And now I'm physically gone, but my body still, my body still is present, right? In the form of us. Um, that's how we know when we are hearing and seeing responding to the kingdom of God. When as the body of Christ, we are actually living Sounds so simple, right? When we're actually living like him, we know the kingdom is coming and we're hearing and receiving and seeing it. Amen? Join me in prayer, if you will, as we prepare to respond and worship. God, I'm conscious of this every week, but especially conscious this week. I don't want my own humanity, fallenness, limited vision to uh, get, in the, get in the way of what you're trying to communicate through this. These are your words. This is something that's so deeply important to you. This whole chapter of Matthew 13 is this series of parables that are designed to take us deeper into the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But in this one in particular, we, we, we allow ourselves to kind of sit under this scripture, your words, not mine, parse out, remove mine. We are now listening to your words where you tell us what you're like as a sower who longs for us to see. Let's just stop there for one. Like, God, can we trust that there are things to see that we don't yet see. Right here, right now, there are ways of who you are, ways you are moving, ways you are calling us to participate that we don't actually see yet. And yet your hope for us is we would see that, that we would see what you see. That like you said, Nicodemus, that there would be this spiritual transformation, a spiritual rebirth that would allow us to see your coming kingdom. God, you are a sower. You say you want us to hear your voice that talks of, that ushers in your kingdom of love and life. So can we just stay here for a moment? Can we, can we, can we come to believe that just like you said you are, the good shepherd who talks to your sheep and who she, the sheep know your voice, can, you, can we believe both sides of that, that, you are who you say you are, that you speak to us, and that we are who you say we are, that we can hear your voice. God, these things are so crazy transformational. Jesus, you as a sower, you say you want us to understand these things. Your intention is that we're walking around, you don't want us walking around confused all the time. You don't want us walking around in a state of perpetual doubt, wondering if we're good enough. You're not wanting us to walk around feeling insecure that we're not smart enough to understand this stuff. No. For each of your beloved children, you want us to understand in a way that plays out in a transformational way in our lives. Your kingdom of life and love. God, we position and posture ourselves to be the kind of soil in our hearts we, we, want, we want our hearts to represent that soil. And let me just add words. Let some of us, maybe that's uh, an alertness. Maybe it's the reality that you've been casting seeds and we're just not paying attention. We're not looking for it. Uh, for, for some of us, that might be a trust. Maybe what needs to happen in the soil of our hearts is the, a trust that there's something inside of us that this feels elusive, this notion that you are who you are and we are who you say we are. Maybe for some of us, we need to trust that in a different kind of a way. Uh, maybe for some of us, it's a hunger and a thirst that we need. Later in this chapter, you talk about the one who craves the pearl of great price and is willing to turn over heaven and earth to get to it. Or maybe what some of us could pray for right now is a heightened sense of appetite, of hunger and thirst to know the ways of God and to participate in your coming kingdom, to be, to be aligned with you in bringing peace and justice 
safety, places where your life is made so easily accessible. Mm, maybe some of us, for the word would be surrender. Which in this moment feels just a little bit different than trust, to surrender. Where we orient ourselves in such a way that we surrender ourselves to this reality that you are the one who is sowing seeds onto our hearts and minds and spirits. And we just haven't completely opened ourselves to the fact that this is life, that ironically, we're most alive when we're joining you in pursuing life. For some of us, maybe it's surrender to that. Thinking of this image of lies, of the evil that tries to eat the seed before it takes. Maybe you would reveal to us some of the ways that we're kind of caught in this internal struggle where there's something that we just can't seem to shake, something that we know doesn't seem totally right, but it's holding us up. Maybe you can meet us in that place right now to convict and free us from that. For those who are, where it registers that the cares and concerns of this world, you know, again, it's another place where it feels like there's a lot of thoughtful spiritual nuance where you're not diminishing the reality of holding hard things. You, you, you talk of being the God who knows the hairs of our head, the birds of the sky, the lilies of the field. You care deeply. That's not what's in question. But maybe for some of us, we need to say, God, I have to trust that God has given me more capacity than I realize, that I can both be concerned about the things that are concerning and still be actively looking for the ways God is growing me, planting seeds in me, beckoning me into a deeper revelation of God's coming kingdom. For those of us where wealth could be the thing that chokes it out, and we can be anywhere on that. We could have no money and be preoccupied with wealth. We can have a lot of money and be preoccupied with wealth. But God, we would we would ask you, again, the word you use is deceit, that we wouldn't look to money for something that it can't do, that we would actually look to it for exactly what it's supposed to do to be part of your coming kingdom. Whatever it might be, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of ways for you to speak to us, but it really does kind of open us up, I think, to see you as the sower, to see us as the ones whose you hope have a soil of our hearts and minds and spirits that is willing and receptive and hungry and eager to hear you, to see you, to understand you. So as we respond in worship, I just pray that there would be a move of God in this place, that we would have a heightened awareness of the Spirit who is already fully here and drawing us closer, revealing the nature of your kingdom to us. So move in this place, we pray. right to finish with that song, doesn't it? We really do need each other, and uh, the kingdom of God is never a solo affair. We are we are doing this together. Uh, before we finish with the closing benediction here, I want to invite you to something. You know, there's, of course, we have to we have to address these challenges on many fronts. One of the big ones is we're doing it on the ground here. We'll talk more about that next week. Of course, there's the advocacy policy kind of arm of it, and uh, to that front is the, do you have the graphic for uh, Sean? Uh, so, this upcoming, that's Wednesday morning, right? July 19th. Uh, this Wednesday morning, I know not everybody can do it at their schedule, but um, Sean is kind of spearheading a our city, House of Hope, uh, Rooted Reps thing, and we're going to go to City Hall, um, do a rally there um, Wednesday morning, and so we'd love to invite you to participate in that if you are able, and we'll make sure that info is um, on all of our social media fronts as well. This next Sunday. All right, sound good? So if you don't mind uh, standing, if able, for our closing benediction, and if you would like to even physically orange yourself in any way, hands out, or whatever feels comfortable for you to be responding to the words of God, I want to share uh, verse 16 from the, the passage we read as our closing benediction. Oftentimes the disciples are on the uh, wrong end of Jesus' teachings where he's challenging something, but in this passage, he very much is affirming them. 
These are the words Jesus says to his disciples, and I think they're the words that we aspire to as well. Verse 16, Jesus says, Blessed are you, blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. So let us remember, first and foremost, what our God, who loves you so deeply, wants for you is that your eyes would see the coming kingdom of God and that your ears would hear the voice of the one who is love calling you to join. So may we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And all God's people said, amen. Love you all.